You're listening to a devotion by Christ Baptist Church. For more resources, visit our website at ChristBaptist.org. Well, we have covered a lot of ground in the last three or three and a half, almost, I guess now, months um, in these daily devotionals, these podcasts. Um, We have covered some personal topics. I'm not going to list everything, but we've talked about anxiety. We've talked about work. We've talked about private worship. Uh, We have covered theological topics such as the providence of God, and we've covered cultural topics such as social justice. If you're not already aware, if you prefer to listen to these uh, podcasts, these daily devotionals, um, as an audio podcast, you can do that uh, through either Spotify or iTunes or through Google Podcasts. You can get these and they will automatically uh, update on your phone if you use the app uh, for that. Of course, you can still get these and continue to get these as usual by clicking on the automated email that goes out to everyone in the congregation who has signed up to receive that email, um, which any member, of course, can do. Also, I believe you can also get, just as a point of information, you can also get uh, the sermons uh, as a podcast as well, if that's something that interests you. Just some of the ways in which Luke Bennett continues to uh, improve the way that we can serve our members, and I'm very grateful to him for the way he is constantly being creative and the way in which he is constantly uh, serving us as we seek to serve you. Um, So uh, I've listed uh, topics, I've listed subjects we've covered, um, and uh, and of course uh, I've got some other suggestions and thoughts and so forth. Uh, But uh, whenever I think about a topic for a day or for a week or whatever we might be covering, I always try to relate the content to something that's happening. In other words, have some relevance to what's going on. And so this week, as I thought about this, of course, I've been thinking, as I noted on Sunday morning, I've been thinking about the 18th century. Uh, After all, we just celebrated Independence Day in 1776 and all that. And so the 18th century has been on my mind and what went on in the 18th century. So I thought this would perhaps be a good week for us to consider how God worked through his people in that century to advance the gospel. I certainly would never dream of trying to teach American history to anyone. uh, So I'm going to avoid that because what on earth would I know compared to all that you know? Um, But I do think it would be worthwhile uh, for us to consider how God was at work in the church reaching people uh, for the gospel in the 18th century. And I'd like to begin by considering George Whitfield. George Whitfield uh, was born in 1714 and he died in 1770. Uh, Clearly, Whitfield did not live a long life. Uh, He died after just 56 years. Uh, But what he lacked in longevity, he more than made up for in energy and commitment and dedication. For example, in 1740, when Whitfield was just 25 years old, he was just shy of his 26th birthday, at the ripe old age of 25, uh, he famously preached to 20,000 people in Boston, in the Boston Common area. Uh, Now, some people have wondered, really, did 20,000 people actually show up to hear him preach, or was it just a large crowd and that was a number that was given? Well, in this particular case, historians are uh, given to trusting the number because none other than Benjamin Franklin was in the midst, and he himself decided that he would <clears throat> see if he could calculate, uh, first of all, the distance that George Whitfield's voice would carry, which it turns out is a very long way, 
Um, but also, as he was calculating how far back he could go from Whitfield before he couldn't make out his words anymore, he then would also calculate the, the, the area of the people that were, that were there uh, and then give a certain amount of space per each one and so forth. And so uh, it, by his own calculation, he was preaching to about 20,000 people. Now that's amazing no matter what time period you live in, uh, but it's perhaps more amazing when you consider that in 1740, the entire population of the city of Boston was only 17,000 people. So in other words, it's quite clear a lot of people were coming in from the surrounding countryside to listen to him preach. Well, speaking of Benjamin Franklin, uh, it was at this time in 1740 as Whitfield was very much at the beginning of his career as an evangelist and as a preacher uh, and uh, defender of the faith and so forth. It was at this time in 1740 that, just to put some context around it, uh, Benjamin Franklin himself was only known really in Philadelphia. His fame and reputation had yet to really blossom and flourish. Uh, and some of that reputation actually grew as a result of uh, Benjamin Franklin becoming George Whitfield's publisher. Um, so in fact, part of the reason, not the whole reason obviously, but part of the reason we know Benjamin Franklin so well is because um, he, he saw in the early days of a George Whitfield someone uh, that uh, he could work with and that helped his own reputation. Uh, at this time in 1740, Thomas Jefferson was not yet born. At this time in 1740, <clears throat> John Adams was only four years old. And at this time in 1740, George Washington was only eight years old and probably, just a guess, causing havoc in his father's apple orchard. Um, but let's get back to, to Whitfield, this man who was full of energy and commitment and dedication and a tremendous preacher uh, of the Word of God who, uh, along with others, was one of the key figures to begin what is called the Great Awakening. Well, today I'm just going to cover a little bit of his upbringing. Uh, he was born in an inn uh, in England in December. And in fact, in his own writings, uh, George Whitfield makes a point of noting this, uh, more once connecting himself uh, to the fact that he was born in an inn uh, <clears throat> in December. Other words, in other words, he was making a connection with Jesus Christ, who was also born in a stable or a manger, laid in a manger that was associated with an inn and of course, it was still widely believed in the 18th century that he was in fact born on December 25th. Um, Whitfield's connections with Christ in his early, very early days, literally his early days, um, uh, were further uh, um, emphasized into his way of thinking because he was baptized as an Anglican, a uh, member of the Anglican Church on December 25th. Uh, in 1714, after being born in an inn. So in his mind, lots of connections there. But as I said, he was born into an Anglican family, um, which was the predominant religious affiliation in England at this time, uh, and along with Catholicism. Uh, if you're wondering where the Baptists in 1714, the answer is, well, they'd been around for approximately 100 years um, in England at the very least, but uh, they were still very small and uh, not an influential group at all. Um, still, he was an Anglican. It's worth pausing uh, over the Anglicanism that Whitfield, the Whitfields as a family knew in their parish. Assuming the rector of the church where they worshipped uh, uh, was an Orthodox uh, pastor and rector of the, uh, of the congregation, which there's every reason to believe he was, he would have followed the Book of Common Prayer 
in during the time of, of Whitfield's baptism and so forth. And <clears throat> when uh, Whitfield was baptized uh, that cold Christmas morning, the rector would have begun with the following words. He would have said from the Book of Common Prayer, Dearly beloved, for as much as all men are conceived and born into sin, and then there's a lot more text, he said, I beseech you to call upon God. In other words, he was saying, because all are born in sin, um, there is a need to pray for every child that God would work in their life, that they might turn to Christ. In other words, Whitfield and his family began with the recognition of the sinful condition of humanity, which is worth noting because not only is that one of the tenets of Anglican theology found in the 39 Articles, it was also a central tenet for Whitfield's preaching through his entire life, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned, uh, and so forth. So, rather interesting that he started out life in that way. A little bit further into the baptism, again following the Book of Common Prayer, the, the priest would have, or the rector, sorry, would have carried on reading and said, "Give the Holy Spirit to this infant, that he may be born again." And of course, uh, for those of you who already know a little bit about George Whitfield, you'll know that he spent once he was converted, he spent his entire life preaching uh, to those uh, who were not born again that they might be. Um, so it seemed Whitfield started out on a good footing, even in his infant days. After all, here are prayers for salvation and a desire that he should be born again. Unfortunately, though, his father died when George Whitfield was only two, uh, and life at home lost its idyllic tincture. Uh, it was a great place to be, from all accounts, until his father passed away. His mother labored on, uh, trying to keep the inn going and keep the family together. She had seven children. Um, she eventually married another man, and that was a total disaster. Um, <clears throat> so indeed, Whitfield himself uh, began to move away from the faith. He would steal money from his mother so he could spend it on himself as a, an older child. He became listless and, and began to fall out with some of the members of his family as he entered his teenage years. But all the while, all the while, he continued to feel the pull of the gospel. Now tomorrow we're going to look at his conversion and how he came to Christ and how that pull of the gospel finally grabbed hold of his heart. But for now, um, I want to pay attention to just two things for very quickly. First of all, um, Whitfield's mother, it would seem, never lost hope that her son would find faith and become a minister of the gospel. I wonder, who have you prayed for, for perhaps many years, um, and you still despair that that person might come to faith. You still despair that that person might give their life to Christ. Well, for his mother, it was not until he was in his early 20s that George Whitfield finally gave his life to Christ. Um, so let me just say a word of encouragement to you, that if you find yourself praying for someone, whether it's a family member, a child, or a parent, or a brother, or sister, or someone else, don't give up. Continue to pray. It may take decades, uh, who knows, in the Lord's providence, uh, but continue to faithfully pray. Second thing to note here about Whitfield's early life is that Whitfield may have wandered, and he tells us this in his own journals, um, in his life and, and gone astray and so forth, but God used this period to highlight in Whitfield's life his need for grace. 
It was a need that fueled his life and ministry because he would connect with literally hundreds of thousands of people over the course of his ministry, reminding them that he knows what it is to be caught in the, uh, in the grip of sin and to know what it is to be under the law. Uh, but then, of course, he would preach to them the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and the wonder of the gospel. And so God used even this portion of his life where he was in the grip of sin to highlight the need for grace, something that would become the very central portion of what he would preach to so many and to such wonderful effect through the power of the Holy Spirit.